one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning, welcome in. Glad you're able to spend a little time with us this morning. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. The website is btgprogram.com or on social media it's at btgprogram. Coming up later today in the program, Baylor, Baylor University has two terrific basketball programs, Zach, and with both its men and women's teams ranked pretty high in the standings, but they also have that dark cloud of the scandal hang, hanging over them. And uh, what they didn't need were the recent comments from their women's coach, who is one of the all-time greats, one of the all-time greats. And she just, you know, her comments just made thing, uh, made a bad situation They were worse. very over the top, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little later on and talk about what it is that can bring peace to such a situation. Zach has a new list of shenanigan statements, of course, and we'll tell you what it is that we like this week. That's all coming up a bit later, but first, Zach, let's, let's get into the show. Among the worst parts for me, and probably for you too, of the baseball offseason, are the arbitration hearings that come right before spring training. Yep. This is where a team has one figure in mind, player has another figure in mind, they can't come to an agreement. So after both sides present their cases, an arbitrator renders what that player will get paid for the year. The problem with that is while the player presents all the upsides, here's how many strikeouts I threw, here's how many home runs I hit, they're presenting positives. The team, in order to win their side, has to go in there and present all the negatives. So what you have is a team who spends a couple hours just heaping up negatives on a player and then hoping that that player goes out and gives them everything they have for the team that just trashed them for an hour and a half. Yeah, it's just an uncomfortable, awkward situation. Yeah, you see the problem. It's why teams try to avoid arbitration, if at all possible. They may win the case financially, but there's hurt feelings involved, and you don't want to be hurting your players. So it's all, so often as they can, teams try to find some sort of common ground, find some way to reach an agreement. And I read an article recently out of one of the Boston newspapers, which said exactly what I just said, but then they added this little phrase, but not the Yankees, and proceeded to criticize the team for their recent hearing with reliever Dellen Patances over what amounts to a $2 million difference. But the writer, he didn't bother to present the facts because the facts, had he presented, he, he would have learned that the Yankees are like every other team. No team wants to go to arbitration if they can avoid it. In fact, the Yankees, the last time before Batances, if, if I'm correct about this, was Chin Ming Wong back in 2008. Yeah, I was going to say, you're really going back. So it's, it's been a while because no team wants to do this. However, with Batances, they, they were unable to reach an agreement. So uh, he wanted $5 million. 
the Yankees were offering three million. So there's that two million difference. And yeah. now it's easy to say that you know it's two million dollars. The Yankees are the Yankees. Just give them the money. Well, you know, two million dollars is a lot of money, mm-hmm. even for the Yankees, especially in this age of uh, higher luxury tax. This age of uh, look, even the Yankees are being frugal. You know, the last couple of years, they've been trying to avoid paying a luxury tax. And people want it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't sit there and bash the Yankees for being the, having such a high payroll and then turn around on the other side and say, well, just give the man his money. It's only a $2 million difference, you know? Right, exactly. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. And another thing to consider as is Patances isn't a closer. He's a setup guy. And he may be a very good setup guy, but most teams have a couple of setup guys. I know you have your eighth inning guy that you like to go to, but they don't make the same money as a closer. And usually that's because your closer is just that. He's closing out your game. Your setup guy is trying to get you to the closer. And you may have a situation where you have a couple setup guys that you're using. Maybe you're playing the lefty-righty thing. So... I don't think the Yankees want to get in a spot where they're paying Batances the same thing that they'd be paying Chapman. Former Yankees catcher Brian McCann told one New York newspaper that Dillon was our MVP, I felt like, for three straight years. Another former Yankees, Carlos Beltran, said that Batances would do whatever it takes to help the team win. I saw him over the years, sometimes when he had a stiff arm, And a lot of guys would have just said, you know what, my arm is stiff. I'm not going to put myself out there today. But Dillon was always willing to put his health on the line for the team and try to win a game. That was Carlos Beltra. Now, after losing his arbitration hearing, it remains to be seen if he's going to be as willing. And some comments that he made suggest that he may not be as willing to put himself out there, especially especially, Zach, after team president Randy Levine, for some inexplicable reason, strongly criticized Batanza's agent for what he considered an overly extraordinary amount of money that he was asking for. Levine attempted to straddle the fence. In his defense, he tried to praise Batanza's. He called him a, a great person, an elite setup guy, but then he criticized his agent, Jim Murray, for trying to value Batanzas as a closer. Instead of being satisfied, this is Randy Levine, he said, instead of being satisfied with being the highest paid, could that be right? I think he called him the highest paid setup man in the game. Whether it is or isn't, he, he was certainly going to be one of the highest. He put the blame on Murray for the lack of any substantial talks that would have led to uh, to a settlement and have been able to avoid arbitration, a claim which Murray disagrees with. Levine said what his agents did was make him a victim of an attempt to change a marketplace in baseball that has been well established for 30 or 40 years. I feel bad for Dellen that he was used in that way by his agent because anyone who knows about this process realizes that history is very much established that $5 million goes to elite closers. Now, Murray He said that it's bizarre to me. I have no idea why he would have a press conference today, win or lose. You'd have to ask him. And that's the bizarre thing. Why? Why would you call a press conference? That's unheard of. Yeah. I, Randy Levine must be really, really good at something behind the scenes because the guy's just a moron. Every (laughs) time he opens his mouth, 
There's headlines that the team doesn't need because the guy is out of touch. If Randy Levine thinks that elite closers make $5 million a year, Randy Levine has not looked at closer salaries. Because look at what Chapman just got. Look at Andrew Miller's making $9 million a year now in Cleveland to pitch in the 6th or 7th inning when the starter gets into trouble. The market has changed, and Betances, even if he is a setup guy or a fireman wherever there's a, a fire that needs to be put out, is worth more than that $5 million a year. And Randy Levine, I can't wait till the day he's not on the Yankee payroll anymore. <laughs> Be honest with your feelings. Don't hold back, Jack. To be honest, that's me pulling punches. I can't stand the guy. I cannot stand I don't know. Like I said, I can't – you can't be paying your setup guy the same thing that you're paying Chapman. But the arbitration system where you're going in a room and just trashing the guy, but then to close – to call a press conference afterwards when that's not normally what you do. Mm -hmm. I I mean, if I, I would just move on. You won your case. Move on. Yeah. To call a press conference to get something off your chest is just adding to hurt feelings. In fact, Tony Clark, he's the executive director of Major League Baseball's Player Association. He called Levine's public comments unprecedented and unprofessional. And and they are both of those things. Yeah, I would agree. The most important thing is how Patances feels. And he said that even though he felt trashed by the Yankees, he said he originally planned to move on. After Levine took his comments to the public, though, he has now reconsidered. His quote is this, I was planning on putting everything behind me until I was aware of Randy Levine's comments saying I was the victim in this whole process and saying how much they love me. But then they take me in a room, trash me for about an hour and a half. I thought that was unfair. But Tonsa said he'll have to think about whether he will be consistently available or available for multiple innings. He, although he did say that ultimately he's going to compete for his teammates. He's going to compete for the fans. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, again, what what's Levine thinking here? As if the arbitration process isn't hurtful enough, all you can wonder is why. Why wouldn't you just keep quiet? Now, look, He's Batances would get over this. He's got to be yeah. the, the the agent has to have some responsibility in preparing him. Look, we're going to arbitration. You're going to hear some negative things. Be prepared. And I know you might be butt hurt when you're when you just lost. But if you're if if you're Randy Levine, you just keep quiet and let him start getting over it. And if I was Brian Cashman and. and Murray did make it a point to express that he does have a good relationship with Cashman, the Yankees GM, and I suppose that's a good thing if the Yankees want have any hopes of re-signing Batances because I doubt Murray, come free agency, is going to forget all this. Right. So he did say that he has. And if I was Brian Cashman, I would get Randy Levine in my office pretty quick. In fact, I'd get them all in my office and I'd make sure we're on the same page. Hey, look, my guy here – he spoke out of line. He pulled a no, uh, just a brain fart thing here to call a press conference. Mm-hmm. We, we'll, we'll deal with him, but we just want you to know, Dylan, that you're our guy. We love you. We love your agent. And we just want to make sure we're all good here going forward. You can't let it be a simmering thing that festers and is in the newspapers every week, every time he doesn't pitch in a game or something. You've got to squash it now and move on from it. We were talking the other night in our small group study that meets at our house. We were, were starting the book of Philippians, and I mentioned the importance of being sincere and learning to discern good judgment. Certainly, Levine calling a press conference 
wasn't good judgment. Philippians 1, uh, verses 9 and 10 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. In the passage, Paul is encouraging the people in the church of Philippi to pursue the excellent things, the excellent things, not just the good things, but the excellent things. And that as they do, the more and more they would abound in love. And this is so that ultimately, as he was praying they would, they would be without offense. I've learned, call it maturity, call it wisdom, both, I suppose. But I've learned to keep my mouth shut better than I did when I was a younger man. Well, I may not always say what I'm thinking, though, the thoughts are still there. I may not tell you what I'm thinking about you or that thing you're doing, but the thoughts are there. I want to get to where my love for people is so strong that even those lo- that those thoughts that go through my head aren't there. And that's what Paul wanted for the people he was writing to. Not saying it, that's a good start. It's a good start. And sometimes if you're like me, you're, you, you want to have the final word or you know, you want to get that negative comment off your chest. And perhaps that's how it was for Randy Levine. Like I said, I have no idea what that guy was thinking. But for the good of everyone involved, he could have avoided escalating this thing, saved some problems by just keeping it to himself. Our mouths, they can undoubtedly get us into trouble. I mean, I am sure everybody listening has said something which they regret or got them in hot water. And the Bible has much to say about the tongue. But as I say, we were talking the other night and we were discussing Philippians. The deeper we go in our walks with Christ, the more like him we become. So that even our thoughts, even our actions, our attitudes are, are all more and more under control. If we could slow down the reaction before our mouths speak, we we should ask ourselves that if what we are about to say, will this thing support my walk with Christ? Does this make does this make my walk stronger or is this going to discourage the walk that other people have? What do my jokes say about what's in my heart? What do the things that I talk about most of the time say about what's in my heart? I remember I had a friend, another believer in Christ and you know, every time we got together, we talked sports. And one day, which sort of dawned on us, man, we never talk about anything else but sports. Sports is good. Sports is fine. But Paul was saying, pursue those excellent things. David said in Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Paul said in Romans three thirteen and 14, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And James talks about the damage and the hurt the things we say can cause. In James three, uh, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. How is it, talking in terms of believers, that we can sit in church on a Sunday morning, sing praises to God, talk about how great he is, and then turn around and say the most mean, 
hurtful, callous things about other people, people he loves. James chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, referring to the tongue, of course, and with it we, we curse men. We have been made in the likeness of God from the same mouth, Come both blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be. What we say can be a problem, no doubt about it, but it's just a symptom of the bigger problem. As I said, even if we get our tongues under control and learn not to say everything that comes to mind, we still have the things going through our mind. The root of the problem is what's in our hearts. If you want to truly tame the tongue, the place to start is with your heart. It's hard to do. But as we learn to abound more in love, to get our tongues under control, we need to learn to discipline our thoughts to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. James 1, 19 and 20, This you know, my my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Man, what we say ought to be edifying. Leave the other stuff out. Why is it so important? Why is it so important that we learn to control the things we say, that we discipline ourselves to incline our hearts to be more pure and more Christ-like? It's important so that the people see the love of Christ and not the ugliness of man. The ugliness of man, regardless of whether they're a Christian or not, is a result of the sin within us. We need them to see the cure for that sin, which is Christ. In this life, we're always going to struggle with sin. It's always going to be there. We can improve. We can get better, but we're still going to struggle with it. But God is still at work in our lives, and we need to know that. He's still drawing us ever closer and closer to him, crafting us more and more in his likeness. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Because we will always have the sinful nature until we leave these bodies. Until then, the best we can do to get a handle on sin is to be forgiven of sin. Forgiveness is found at the cross in Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, forgiveness of sins is available to those who would simply ask. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to encourage you to call out to him, to seek forgiveness of sins. He's faithful, if only you would ask. I'm Rick Benson. I'm glad you're with us. This is the Beyond the Game program. It's here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian Sports TV channel with programming from Pee Wee to the Pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition. 
sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that can pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Benson and Barletta here on Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game is a faith-based radio ministry, and like many radio ministries, our operating budget is maintained, sustained, and supported by our good listeners. Your financial gifts support the program's efforts to reach new markets, bringing the message of the gospel to thousands of listeners each week. If you feel so led, you can make a secure donation through our website, btgprogram.com. Zach, let's do some shenanigans for those who may be new to the show. Zach Barlett is about to make a few statements, after which we will either agree with those statements or call shenanigans on them. All right, to start with, I was surprised to learn during a recent spring training game broadcast that despite their league-worst attendance, the Tampa Bay Rays have one of the most-watched game telecasts. So truth or shenanigans, the Rays will be able to stay in Tampa long-term. I say shenanigans. Watching the games at home doesn't provide the revenue that the Rays need you know, if those people were to actually go to the ballpark, which is another problem. The Rays say they need a stadium with the type of amenities that other teams with newer ballparks enjoy and help them add revenue. But the city and the voters aren't committed to paying for a stadium for the Rays. And I just think that eventually moving somewhere that doesn't have as many things to do as a Tampa St. Pete area is going to benefit the Tampa Rays. I uh, I say shenanigans as well. I don't think they can survive there. The city won't let them out of their lease. It's a very long lease on that ballpark, the terrible ballpark. And people don't want to go over the bridge to get there. The traffic is bad. People don't want to do it, which is why so many people watch at home. I looked up the attendance figures just to see. Rays were the worst in the league at uh, 15,800 and change per game. Top team is the Dodgers at 45,700. So... They're, the top team is almost three times as many fans per game as the Rays. You just can't sustain a team like that. So you know the fix that I want. I want to put them in Montreal and bring back the Expos. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind that a bit. I, I like baseball in Florida, but you know there is so much to do there. They do have spring training, and, and they have the Florida leagues. And There's a lot of baseball there already. Uh, granted, it's not major leagues, but um, I do like the idea of the Montreal Expos coming back. 
Next, this is a, a quick one. Gary Sanchez will lead the Yankees in home runs this season. What's your thoughts on this? You know, I really thought I was going to come up with a clever answer why someone else would hit more, but I can't. I'm going to say that I agree because uh, even though I don't think he will live up to the the insane pace that he hit home runs at last year, I don't know that Greg Bird is going to out-homer him. I don't know that Aaron Judge is going to out-homer him. So I'm going to say, yeah, Gary Sanchez leads the Yankees in homers. But they might, they, they which, which is what makes this difficult. Will Gary Sanchez lead the Yankees in home run? I'm going to say shenanigans only because those guys have the ability to do it. And if I, if I don't know, look, I'm going to take the field over an individual. So I think my chances with – Taking somebody from the field over singly saying Gary Sanchez, it may very well be Gary Sanchez and probably will be, but I'll take my chances going with the field. See, I'm happy about that because I thought for sure you were going to be the one that said yes and I would be the one that says no. Now you're giving but. me 23 other guys or Gary Sanchez. I'm going to put my money on 23 other guys. All right, I'll probably fair enough. lose my money. Well, I like Greg Bird swinging at that short porch though. Earlier this month, the US, USA Today released their 2017 MLB playoff predictions. They say the AL playoff teams will be the Red Sox, Indians, Astros, Rangers, and Blue Jays, with the NL represented by the Cubs, Dodgers, Nationals, Mets, and Giants. Of those 10 teams, the one most likely to not make the playoffs is the Mets. I say shenanigans. As you know, I love the Mets pitching, as does everybody else. I think the Blue Jays are going to be hard-pressed to get into the playoffs, having lost that big bat of Encarnacion. Justin Smoke is not at all the same thing. No. I mean, if they make it for the Blue Jays, this will be different. If they make it, it's going to be their pitching that gets them there. But I think it's going to be the Mariners who have a good chance to end up as that second wild-card team in the AL. So I'm going to say shenanigans on your statement. I think I have to agree with you. I, I think that it's not the Mets. I actually think it might be the Giants. I think that there's age on that team. I think that Brandon Belt has never turned out to be the hitter they thought that he was going to be. There's some questions at the back end of the pitching rotation, and they don't have a lot of prospects ready to help. So I think it might finally be that the Giants just kind of fade away. So I said the Blue Jays and gave you a substitute that the Mariners who who's going to if the giants aren't making the playoffs Zach, who's taking their place i'm going to go with the rockies wow i think we talked about them a few months ago when they started yeah, I know you're high on the them. season i just really like the rockies and i know i wear my rockies hat in the studio all the time and stuff but i think they're just going to score a ton of runs that they can overcome any pitching shortages that they might have so bold strategy cotton let's see if it pays off for them Number four, there's a rumor that's been gaining steam in Buffalo that the Bills could release LaShawn McCoy this offseason to shed some payroll. Truth or shenanigans, McCoy will be the Bills' starting running back this season. I'm going to go first only because you know so much more about the Bills (laughs) being a closer follower. I'm going to say I actually agree that he will be the starting running back this season. He played really well last year once Anthony Lynn took over as offensive coordinator, uh, which to me proves he can still be productive. I don't think his contract is all that unmanageable and they don't, they don't have, they're not saving much in cap space. I get it. They can spread it over two years, but he has a cap number this season of 8.875. Cutting them brings that cap charge of 7.875. So you're saving a million bucks. I get it. You can spread it over two years, but is that enough of a savings to, 
you know, part ways with a serviceable back. I don't, I don't think it is. I agree with both the statement and with the points that you made. And I think that also the running game was the strongest part of the offense the last couple of seasons. And especially for a team that, for whatever reason, doesn't seem totally settled on their quarterback situation, you want to at least have that elite run game that they've had. I don't see any way that Shady plays anywhere but Buffalo this year. Wow, if you're agreeing with me, I now feel like a Buffalo Bills expert. <laughs> Last but not least, actor Bill Paxton passed away on Sunday. Sadly, Paxton appeared in a lot of great films. So truth or shenanigans, Paxton's best movie was Aliens. I, shenanigans. I, it was good. I, he was he was just terrific in really everything he did. I, I think his role as Morgan Earp, though, was my favorite. Tombstone. I, I love western, so I got That's a disclaimer there. Westerns are always going to be my favorite. Uh-huh. I thought he was really good in Twister, but truth be told, I probably like him most as Chet in Weird Science. Just <laughs> <laughs> going so, off the board now. That was so much fun. Uh, obviously, that's not his best role, but it's the one I enjoyed. He was very humorous in that. He he was in a ton of stuff. I mean, he was in a ton of stuff, uh, and I enjoyed most of what he did. He was a talented guy. I really liked him in Aliens. I didn't like Aliens. I thought it kind of fell flat as a sequel to the first one, but his part I thought was really well done. I liked him, like you said, in Twister. I don't know if I would call that my favorite part. Well, you know what? I'm going to say that it was. My favorite part was probably him in Twister. I have a soft spot for that film. Yeah, Yeah, it was a good movie. It was terrific. And what, what a shock to see that come over the headlines that Bill Paxton had passed away. I guess it was, I, I enjoyed a lot of the stuff as he was in. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments with some thoughts on Kim Mulkey and the issues at Baylor University. You're listening to Benson and Barletta on the Beyond the Game program. It was another full week on the campus for Roberts Wesleyan College Athletics, so let's take a look at the Red Hawks report for this week, March 4th. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. At the ECC Championships for track and field, the men finished third overall, while the women's indoor track and field team won the East Coast Conference Championships for the third straight year. Junior Chelsea Hayward anchored a strong team performance, winning three individual events. She set meet records in the 60-meter and in the 200-meter, while also winning at the 400-meter. Hayward will now look ahead to the NCAA D2 Championships in Alabama next weekend. She will compete in the 200-meter dash, where she is currently ranked third in the nation. For the men's side, freshman Josiah Adelini turned in yet another terrific performance with first-place finishes in the 800-meter, where he set a meet record, as well as in winning the one-mile run. Senior Keith Pease won the 3,000 meters race, and freshman Ashton Colaire won the 60-meter hurdles, setting an ECC meet record in the process. The outdoor season is set to begin on March 25th at the Jim Taylor Invitational in Sellins Grove, Pennsylvania. Last Saturday, the men's basketball team completed its season with a home loss to Damon College, 80-71. Freshman Isaiah Lewis led the scoring for the Red Hawks with 16 points, while junior Tristan Brown posted a double-double with 14 points and 12 rebounds. The Red Hawks finished the season with a 3-24 overall record, going 2-16 within conference. The women's basketball team got 17 points from junior Brooke Fields, who hit one of her two free throws with just two seconds left in the game to give Roberts a 69-68 win over Damon College last Saturday. 
The win gave the Red Hawks an opportunity to participate in the East Coast Conference Tournament, where they took on New York Institute of Technology on Wednesday, a team they had beaten twice during the regular season. However, it wasn't meant to be as the Red Hawks fell at home to NYIT 80-69. Freshman Emily Miller finished with a double-double, scoring 15 points and grabbing 11 rebounds, while also blocking three shots and adding two assists. Fellow freshman Taya Andrews continued her hot play, turning in 20 points to lead the team, while also pulling down eight rebounds. The Red Hawks are now 17-12 overall and will play in the National Christian College Athletic Association Tournament next weekend. In women's lacrosse, Roberts got seven goals from senior Cassidy Joukowsky, though it wasn't enough to get past Wheeling Jesuit as the Red Hawks narrowly lost 11-10 this past weekend. Senior Shannon Knapp had nine saves for Roberts. On the men's side, they lost on Wednesday to LeMoyne College 14-3. LeMoyne pressured Roberts with just too many shots on goal, though senior Keith Keene did make 18 saves. Looking at the week ahead, there's lacrosse action later today, that's March 4th, with the Red Hawks men's team hosting Dominican College at noon and the women hosting Malloy College at 3 p.m. The men's tennis team will host Post University tomorrow, March 5th, at 4 p.m., but that's it for home events this week for Roberts Wesleyan College Athletics. So that'll conclude the Red Hawks Report for this week, March 4th, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. And remember, you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter, at RWC Red Hawks. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances, and 96 student-athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view, highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show, recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here's your host, Rick Benson. Benson and Barletta here with you on Beyond the Game. Mixing sports and faith for your listening pleasure. The program's available on podcast as heard across the nation and worldwide. You can listen or download it to your device at, if you so choose, right at our website. Once again, that's btgprogram.com. Your support, your encouragement means a lot to us, and for that, we're grateful. Baylor University, Zach, has one of the very best women's basketball coaches in the game. Kim Mulkey's a finalist, in fact, for this year's induction to the Naismith Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame. The final announcement will be made at the Final Four on April 3rd. She's guided the Bears into the top five in the rankings uh, and last Saturday clinched their seventh straight Big 12 title with a win over Texas Tech, which was also Coach Mulkey's 500th career win. So no doubt she's successful. She's one of the all-time greats, but... You ever have a stretch of days where no matter what you do, everything you say, everything you do just seems to come out wrong, just seems to get you in trouble? That's basically every day for me, actually. (laughs) Well, Kim Mulkey's having one of these stretches, and I'm not familiar enough with her to know 
to even begin to speculate on whether or not she actually believes the things she said or if she just chose her words poorly, uh, trying to articul- articulate her thoughts. Last week, after Baylor won what was really a huge game against number 6 Texas, a, a team not far removed from Baylor geographically, not far removed in the standings, I think, Baylor was number four. Texas was number six. So this is an in-state top 10 showdown. This was a big game. Texas coach Karen Aston, who was an assistant with Baylor back in 2006-2007, she was a little miffed by some things that Mulkey said after the game on national TV, which she interpreted as being directed towards her. Mulkey said, for all those naysayers out there, there's not a new sheriff in town yet. Mulkey said, however, that those comments were, they were directed towards social media people, naysayers, and look, who knows, regardless, it was enough to ruffle the feathers of the Texas coach right after they had just played this tough game. Now, maybe Aston was reading too much into it, maybe she was being a little sensitive, who knows, but when you're having one of those stretches, you know, where just things are not going, you just keep putting your foot in your mouth. Well, then even the littlest things like this seem to gain a little intensity when mixed amongst other missteps. Fast forward now to last Saturday after Baylor's title-clinching win over another in-state rival, Texas Tech, which, as I mentioned, was Mulkey's 500th career win, not to mention being senior day for the Baylor Bears when Mulkey got in trouble again with some of the things she said. Instead of sticking to just talking about the big win, what 500 means to her, uh, maybe talking about the seniors who are going to be leaving the team, Mulkey took a shot against people who are critical of Baylor in light of the recent scandal involving allegations of sexual assault against student-athletes that, man, just rocked their football team. Oh, absolutely. And, And if you're not familiar, this is no minor, this is no minor allegation. This is no minor thing. And it wouldn't be minor even if it was just one incident. But the school's being sued for enabling football players to commit alleged 52 sexual assaults over a four-year span as its coaching staff and as its school administration just sort of swept it under the rug. 52. Mulkey decided to tell fans in attendance after the Texas Tech game that if a parent tells them they wouldn't let their daughter attend Baylor, they should knock them in the face. Are, Zach, are you kidding? This is one of the all-time most obvious what-were-you-thinking moments. Yeah. I think parents are justified to be a little concerned about sending their daughters there. Absolutely. And she mentions about the parents. She goes, and they didn't sit in those meetings and they weren't a part of the investigating. You're repeating things that you've heard. Was Kim Mulkey part of the investigation? Did she sit in those hearings? You know, I think that probably applies to her as well. She said, if somebody is around you and they ever say, I will never send my daughters to or my daughter to Baylor, you knock them right in the face. Now, look, we have a problem. We have a problem in our society with people promoting violence of any kind against other people for their dissenting opinion, for their differences of opinion. I'm not talking about life-threatening situations. I'm not talking about self-defense. I'm talking about violent uprising because people voted differently. Their skin color is different or or they're concerned about campus safety, knocking somebody in the face. Now, I find it hard to believe that she actually believed that knocking somebody in the face 
is the right thing to do. But I, I again, I don't know her. Maybe she does. <laughs> That's what she said. Now, hear me out, and, and don't don't change the station here for a minute until I finish this thought, because I tend to look for ways to give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I always, it's just in my nature to do that. Perhaps she was trying to do a combination of things. Maybe she was trying to reiterate what she said after the Texas game, talking about naysayers, negative people. Uh, maybe she's also trying to fire up the supportive home crowd they cheered these comments, by the way, which was also disturbing, while also expressing the love and support for the school in spite of whatever bad apples were there. Listen, I, you know, I'm not – what happened at Baylor was an awful thing, but that's not a representation of most of the people at Baylor. And I'm sure she's defending to some extent some of the people that she knows to be good people that she cares about. but. There's that's better what, ways to do it. Yeah, I agree, Zach. That's that's not what she said, and there's absolutely no way to justify her comments, her actions. She should be reprimanded by the university, perhaps even the NCAA or the Big Twelve Conference. I'm not what she said is wrong. It's deeply troubling. I'm not defending her, but I'm just saying I I can't believe she actually would think that. So in my mind, there has to be a better explanation. I just don't know what it is. Now, okay, you can change the station if you want, but if you do, just know that you're going to miss some really good stuff that's coming up. Our regular listeners know that this program is pre-recorded. It's pre-recorded a few days prior to its Saturday morning airtime, and she may already have apologized. I, I don't know. She may already have clarified her statements. Maybe she's been reprimanded by the school. Maybe she's been disciplined by the NCAA. I have no idea. It really doesn't matter because the fact remains that she said those things. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were careless. They were reckless in inciting a home crowd with her comments. It's something that's happening in town halls. It's happening on campuses and in protests across our nation. And I think it's very dangerous. Mulkey went on to say that Baylor is the best blank school in America. She used the D word there and added that the problems we have at Baylor are no different than the problems at any other school in America. Now, look, the Bears just won a big game, clinched another title, got her 500th victory. I'm sure everybody's feeling pretty good about themselves. But by what measurement is Baylor the best school in America? And. You say that you have the same problems at Baylor that everybody else has. I don't know of any other institution being sued for 52 allegations of sexual assault. I can't think of any. Now, the Baylor situation is particularly troubling to me. This one really bothers me. Baylor's a private Christian university. I, I know that Christians are sinful, just as people who don't have a faith in Christ. And I know that not everyone who attends Baylor is a professing Christian, maybe not even most people. I don't know. But even so, it's a bad testimony. It's a bad testimony, and it gives people who don't know that. All they know is Baylor has Christian University associated with it, and they use that. People who are antagonistic against the faith are, are now have more ammunition and more reason to be. Again, sin is sin, and all people are sinful. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. First John 1 John 1.8, If we say that we have sinned, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But those who are antagonistic against the faith generally don't allow for an opportunity of an explanation that, you know, not everybody that goes to Baylor is a Christian. Maybe these people weren't Christian. This is this is a terrible mark. Scandals such as what occurred at Baylor can be used by the devil to hinder the, the believer's ability to share of the love of God. Now, thankfully, God can he can overcome all that. Salvation's of him. He's the one that touches a heart. It, it's not the believer's. Add to the fact that Baylor's former football coach, Art Bryles, is said to be a believer in Christ. This is why it's so troubling to me, this scandal. He's been featured in faith-based magazines. He's written a book, which they've promoted. And a couple of things in fairness. I don't know Art Bryles. I don't know Kim Mulkey. I've not read his book. I've not ever heard him speak of faith. I, I have no doubt about what's been written about him in these faith-based magazines, but I, I've never heard it firsthand. I didn't read his book. And secondly, I, I don't know what happened at Baylor and what involvement he had, but I'll tell you, the accusations are ugly, and the stories I've read are disgusting, if any part of them are true. If this was a Christian man that had involvement in that, that's deeply troubling. And again, Christians are sinful, just like everybody else. The scandal cost Bryles' job and also led to the firing or resignation, however you want to look at it, of Baylor President Ken Starr, its athletic director, its Title IX coordinator, and a number of other people. Would seem like there's something to the allegations in, don't you think, if all these people lost their jobs? And my experience has been that, though while not always, in most times where there's smoke, there's at least a little fire. Baylor basketball this season, by the way, enjoying great success, both the men and the women. When you think that maybe Baylor's able to move on, maybe to, to turn a page, to, to put the past behind, and again, given the benefit of the doubt, maybe have cleaned out the bad apples, mended the culture at the school. A prominent figure such as Kim Mulkey seemingly defending those bad apples and attacking those who would be rightly concerned would suggest that the culture at Baylor hasn't changed a bit. And that's bothersome. Mulkey said that she's tired of hearing it and that people should move on and find another story to write. And maybe that's the most troubling of all, of, of all the things she said. Because it's most disappointing, it's, it's symptomatic of the dismissive attitude that got Baylor into trouble in the first place. Again, I'm not, I'm not defending her. She should be admonished. She should be disciplined. She should apologize. But I, I just, I have a hard time being convinced that she actually believes the stupid things that she said and that she would defend such horrible actions. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she's just sin on a stick, but I'm having a hard time with that. Have you ever tried? I'm sure you have. Tried to resolve or fix a situation and ended up just making things worse by what you said, what you did. You mean well, so you go to someone, or, or maybe you get between two people and you're trying to be the peacemaker, but emotions get involved and things just go awry. Sometimes pride gets in the way. Someone involved is not actually looking for a, re a resolution of any type, so it just it doesn't work. Your, your best intended efforts don't work. If people are so emotionally attached in a situation, they can be 
they can think that peace is found in simply being right. I'm, I, regardless of the cost, they want to be right. That's how they're going to have peace. In their heart of hearts, they may know they're wrong, but they'll choose to go down with the ship in an effort to convince everybody around them that they're right. Facts don't matter. What matters now is being right. That's how they're going to sleep at night. That's how they're going to have peace is being right. For a Christ follower, this can't be. Being humble, being forgiving, being a peacemaker, being repentant are all part of what it means to be a Christian. It's not a buffet. You can't pick and choose what parts of Christianity, what parts of the Bible you like and leave and reject the things that don't appeal to you. You can't dance and throw up your arms and worship on a Sunday morning and head back and eyes closed, really getting after it, how much you love the Lord. And then you have a heart just as cold as ice for people around you or for others, people that God loves. And you can't allow your anger, your pride to keep you from being honest, from being repentant, from being forgiving. At at times they get it. People are misguided. Kim Mulkey's enjoyed great success, has many fans, people who speak well of her. Somewhere along the line, though, judging by what she said, wins have become more important. To suggest that people who are concerned about sending their daughters to Baylor should be knocked in the face is evidence of that. That's at the heart of the scandal. Looking the other way for the sake of a stronger football team and more victories. But let me bring this a little closer to home. What is it that you have become misfocused or have misprioritized? Do you think that a few more wins in the team you coach or the team you play with that that's going to bring you peace in life? A few more scored goals, a few more base hits. Maybe if you reach a certain goal weight, weight, that'll bring you peace. Have more money, a bigger house, a nicer car. These things will bring you peace. Have these things become what you chase after? Have they become more important than caring for people? Who will you run over to reach these goals, which you think will bring you peace My pastor said this Sunday, he said, stop chasing peace and contentment in a world which only offers cheap imitations. Receive the authentic item that God wants you to enjoy. I thought that was good stuff. Stop chasing peace and contentment in a world which only offers cheap imitations. God has the authentic item. Once you get those additional victories that you're chasing that you think you know, the accomplishments, the the goals that if you reach them, a job well done, that's going to bring you peace. These things you're chasing, the the weight, the, the higher income, there's still going to be an emptiness because peace is found in God. And what the world offers is simply an imitation. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Paul talked of the peace of God when he said in Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. He spoke of it again in addressing the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Two verses later in verse 9, he says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Peace is found in God. 
before we can have peace of God, we need to have peace with God. There needs to be a reconciliation because sinful man is not all that unlike what happened at Baylor. Man looks the other way at his sin as he pursues peace in other things, worldly imitations. Reconciliation with God means acknowledging your sin, repenting from them, and asking God to forgive you. Despite all that we've done, despite our sins, our offenses against God, God loved us enough to come to earth to die on a cross to pay for our sins. And he's not waiting for you to get right before taking that first step towards reconciling with you. He's already done his part. The cross has already happened. Jesus knew all the sin you and I would engage in. Yet even so, he loved us enough to willingly go to that cross and give his life to make a way for our sins to be forgiven. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus lived a perfect life, never sinning one time, yet he gave that life as a sacrifice to us, becoming sin in our place. On that cross was our Savior and all our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the good news. That's the greatest news. The gospel message, God's love and mercy. John 3.16 sums it up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. My pastor said something else on Sunday which stuck with me. He said that it's not fair to present the gospel without mentioning of the warning of not accepting the gospel, because there's an impending doom, which the Bible calls hell. God gave you a choice. You can accept his plan of salvation, which is accepting Jesus Christ, asking forgiveness of sins. You can accept that, or you can try to do it on your own. But know this, you can't reconcile the debt of your sin while still carrying the weight of those sins. And Jesus came not only to give life, but to save people from hell. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We can't enjoy the peace of God in the absence of God. We need him in our lives. Jesus gave his life on the cross to make a way of forgiveness, so that if we would believe, that if we would seek God's forgiveness, instead of seeing our sins, God would see his son Jesus on the cross, taking away the debt of our sins. You need to, you need to resolve the concept that you are a sinner, and you know you are. You need to admit that, though, to God. You need to repent. You need to return around from those sins, and you need to ask him to forgive you and to save you. I want to leave you with these two verses, Romans 10, 9, and 10. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I hope you'll consider that. We're glad you're with us. Let us know if there's anything we can do to help you, even if it's just just praying for you. Ask God to open your eyes. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Do 
Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Bring it. All right, Zach, let's close things out with you like that. Romans 13, 7 says, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Former Montreal Canadian P.K. Subban returned to Montreal for the first time since being traded to the Nashville Predators on Thursday. Despite playing for the home team's opponent, Subban was honored by the Canadian government officials for his contributions to the city of Montreal and its people. On Wednesday, he was presented with a meritorious service decoration, which is given to recognize exceptional deeds that bring honor to Canada. Subban spent seven years with the Canadians before being traded and was a fan favorite, not only for his terrific play on the ice, but also for his many, many charitable efforts in the Montreal area, which he has pledged to continue. P.K. Subban being honored for his great generosity, despite no longer playing for the Canadians, is what I like this week. You like that? You like that? What I like this week is also hockey-related, actually. It was the Rangers passing on Kevin Shattenkirk and acquiring Brendan Smith from Detroit instead. Smith costs less to acquire and will cost less to re-sign. He fits what the Rangers need. And as much as I would have loved to see Shattenkirk on the Rangers, it's nice to finally see them pass on the shiny, expensive new toy and get the less flashy piece that's a good fit. So that was what I liked this week. You like that? You like that? That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Game, and thanks to Zach for playing Hurt this week. You might have been able to tell throughout the show, my man is fighting a cold, and I feel for him. It's tough having little kids at home. Oh, man, they're little German booger factories. (laughs) For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back again together next week, right here at the same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 